are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. So one of the things I've learned in my 59 years is that as people get older, they like to read the obituaries. So I've been reading a few obituaries lately. Most of them are fairly similar. You know, a loved one has died, and the obituary says a little bit about the person, a little bit about their family, maybe their work, maybe their interests, something about a service if there is one. Um, so there's almost a sort of a standard format for them, but there sometimes are obituaries that are a little bit unusual, and I want to share a couple of those with you. Um, in 2016, in the middle of the year 2016, a Virginia woman, 68 years old, died, and she wanted this included in her obituary. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann chose to pass into the eternal love of God. <laughs> And then there was an 83-year-old woman in Connecticut who died after apparently a lifetime of joking around, lots of pets, and she also liked to tell tall tales with her family. So her obituary included this. She died while climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Her daughter, her dog Mia, and her cats came along at the last minute. There was suspicion that Mrs. Brewer died from hypothermia after Mia ate Mrs. Brewer's warm winter boots and socks. <laughs> a little grim, but kind of funny. Um, and then there was a 68-year-old man in New Hampshire who died in 2019. He was known as a joker, so his two daughters, adult daughters, had a little bit of fun with his obituary. And they wrote, He was a kid from Brooklyn who grew up to live the American dream of a marriage, a career, a house in the suburbs, and two pain-in-the-rear-end kids. The obituary did not use the phrase rear-end, but I'll spare you the details. And then the obituary continued, referencing his favorite TV show and a peculiar habit that he had. His love of Doctor Who was only surpassed by his love of not wearing pants at home. He often combined those two interests. <laughs> So I'm grateful for people who can make us chuckle and laugh as we approach a challenging subject, as we look at the topic of death with this new Lenten sermon series. Humor helps us to maybe talk about a subject that sometimes we'd rather avoid. Sometimes we don't want to talk about it at all. Sometimes we maybe think we're never going to die. I remember a delightful couple in a church I served previously. They were both in their 90s. Wonderful, faithful people in church every Sunday, kind, gracious, humble, smart. He was 94, I think she was 92. And then all of a sudden he's in the hospital and he's very sick and nearing death. And I was talking with his wife and she was shaking her head in dismay and saying, I just don't understand it. He's been healthy all his life. And, you know, inside I kind of, you know, I chuckled and I thought, you know, you know what, is she, what is she expecting? I mean, he's 90, 94. I didn't say anything like that, obviously. But um, it made me realize that even smart, good, kind, faithful people might have somewhere in their head that just it's not going to happen. We're never going to die. But the reality is, every single one of us, we're going to die one day. 
our loved ones are going to die. It's just the way it is. I hate to be the bearer of bad news in case you didn't know that, but it's the truth. And while we don't want to obsess about death, we don't want to avoid it entirely either. We need to talk about it and in some ways maybe prepare for it a little bit. So we're going to be talking about death and life in this holy season of Lent as we journey with Jesus and think about his death and resurrection. Our scripture reading for today is very short and sweet and simple from the first book of the Bible, the creation story, where God is talking with Adam and Eve, the first two humans, and God says very simply, straightforward, you are dust and to dust you shall return. From this verse, we get the liturgy of Ash Wednesday, the idea of dust to dust, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And as one of my seminary professors noticed, it's one of the only times when a word play in a biblical language translates into English. There's a lot of word play in the scriptures that doesn't translate well. You know, language translation, you lose some of the subtlety. Well, in the Hebrew, we talk about Adam, the first human, and we talk about Adamah, which is the Hebrew word for dirt. So Adam came from the Adamah, haha. And then if you know the word humus, that means dirt or soil. So the first human came from the humus. Haha. How about that? Word plays. Yay. There's your Bible lesson for today. Okay. Thanks for indulging me. The season of Lent begins every year with Ash Wednesday, a time when Christians are mindful of these 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, journeying with Jesus, where he faced betrayal, arrest, execution, and then resurrection. The symbol of the ashes is rich. You've, you've heard a hinting of that with the children's message. Not only does it remind us that we are dust and to dust we shall return, it also is um, reminding us of ancient practices of um, humility and penance in, in dust, the sort of bowing down before God and having a sense of uh, dying to sin and rising to new life. Many Christians get marked with ashes on Ash Wednesday, and as Marge said, we're going to do that today. Totally optional. Nobody has to do it invitational only at the end of the service. Um, for anyone who's interested, we'll put a little ash on your forehead or on the back of your hand. Um, and while we're doing that, the traditional liturgy would say, you are dust and to dust you shall return, which I think is an important affirmation helping us to remember the reality that we are not going to physically live forever. With that in mind, the words that we speak as people are getting ashes on them are the affirmation of what we hold as people of faith, will say, in life and in death, we belong to God. In life and in death, you belong to God. Making that affirmation that now with our physical bodies and forever, we belong to God. So there's sort of a theological affirmation and celebration there. Moving from the theology, I want to just move into the practical a little bit um, and just think about that. Um, last year, we had a sermon series here called Let's Talk About Sex. Remember that one? And then we had a sermon series, Let's Talk About Jesus. Um, I'm glad to be at a congregation where we're not afraid to talk about difficult, complicated situations. Well, I almost titled this series, Let's Talk About Death, but that would have sounded too morbid, morbid. but I think we do want to talk about death, so that's what we're going to do. Um, I think we need to wrestle with these issues, and to help spur these conversations, I want to offer some food for thought over the next month or so to encourage conversations that will happen outside the walls of this sanctuary with your, with your loved ones, your friends, whoever, and just kind of setting the stage for it, big picture question, which is kind of blunt, but you know, if you were going to 
die this week, are you ready? Are you ready? And I'd like to explore that question in, in three ways. The first one is thinking about your body, your physical body. When a person dies, there are multiple options. You can be buried in a casket in the ground. You can be cremated, and your ashes could go to a variety of places, to a cemetery, to a, um, you know, somebody's mantle or somebody's, you know, your favorite lake or the columbarium here at church. Um, there are also options. Um, there's a place out in Verona that you'll hear about in Sunday school next week if you come. Um, more environmentally friendly sort of burial options. So a lot of options there, and we need to be thinking about those options and letting our loved ones know about those options. You know, do you know what you want? <laughs> do your loved ones know what you want? Early in my ministry, I officiated a wedding of a delightful young couple a few years younger than I was. He was an electrician, and she was a school teacher. I think. It was a long time ago. And I think it was about six months after they got married, the newlyweds, he died in a work-related accident. It was sudden, it was tragic, nobody was expecting it. People in their 20s, it's a it, you know, horrible situation. And in the aftermath of that, while they're dealing with all the grief, his wife and his mother had different recollections of what he wanted at his time of death. One of them, I can't remember which, but one thought he wanted to be buried, and one thought he wanted to be cremated. They weren't arguing about it, they just had heartfelt disagreement, you know, differences of opinion about that, the differences of recollection. And I don't even remember how they resolved that, but what I do remember from that you know, 25 years ago is, is how heartbreaking it was for them in this time of horrible grief. They just, they didn't know. And that would have helped them a little bit in this horrible situation just to have some clarity. So if you have opinions about what you want happen to your body after you die, it's good to talk about them with your loved ones, write them down, let them know. So that's one less thing that people would have to worry about when that time comes. All sorts of good options, like I mentioned. There's even, um, you know, a lot of people, myself included, on my driver's license, I've got organ donor mentioned. And if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I hope they can use whatever they can to bring life to other people. Personal choice, not everybody's thing. But I'm also wanting to explore for years. I've been hearing about um, body um, donation, like donating my body for medical students. It's kind of intriguing, and again, that's not for everybody, but I'm intrigued by it. I looked into it a little bit this week after thinking about it for a long time and realized it's a rather complicated process to sign up for that, um, but I want to explore it some more. Not sure I'm going to do it, but I want to look into it. So the point being, there are a lot of options out there, and it would be a real blessing to your loved ones to have those conversations and have some level of preparedness. So your body, and then how about your affairs? I'm guessing most of us adults have seen movies, TV dramas, where there's somebody who's gone to the doctor and they're not feeling well, and the doctor walks back into the office with a, a, a solemn look, and, and she says, do you have your affairs in order to the person who is sick? And, you know, it means that they're probably going to die soon. You know, so how about us? Are our affairs in order? Specifically thinking about finances, Christine Barden led a wonderful class on that. I believe that will be available on YouTube. Um, some of you were there, all sorts of information to think through those issues. It's good to do that ahead of time. And then also thinking about stuff, <laughs> the stuff that we have. That's another way, and just sort of organizing our lives. It's a good, good thing to think about. Um, I remember, um, yeah, it was about a year and a half ago, our youngest son, we have two boys, youngest son was getting ready to go to college, we're getting ready to be the empty nesters, 
And so I'm down in the basement with Matthew and getting a suitcase and a duffel bag and getting organized with things. And after a little bit, I said to him, you know, Matthew, if your mom and I get hit by a bus tomorrow, all this stuff that's here in the basement, you guys are going to have to deal with that. You know, presumably you'll be sad for a week or two or, you know, something like that. But then you're going to have to deal with all this stuff. We've accumulated a lot of stuff over the years from some deceased relatives, and a lot of it's just, just our stuff. So from that year and a half ago, we've made a little bit of progress in the basement and cleaning up stuff. But like most people, we're busy and life is chaotic. And it's just one of those things that it's just easy to just push off. Well, we'll get to it someday. We'll get to it someday. But the thing I keep hearing from people who are younger than me over and over and over again in a variety of ways is that the kids don't want the parents' stuff, right? A lot of us have some stuff and we think, oh, my kids and my grandkids would just love to have this and this and this. And the kids are like... I love you, but, you know, back off. So, again, it's just sort of a, a kindness thing in, in this time of death and just helping people, if we do die suddenly and tragically, to have things, you know, as prepared as possible and just to be thinking about that. Season, this season of Lent is as good a time as any for thinking about these issues, getting our affairs in, in more order. Our loved ones will appreciate it. So there's that, and then there's your body, your affairs, and then thinking about your legacy, thinking about the big picture of things. We need to think about our body, we need to think about our affairs, and the legacy thing. Um, How are you going to be remembered? What are people going to say about you after you're gone? How are you with your own unique lives and experiences and perspectives? How are you going to be talked about when you're gone? And how are you making use of the world that God has entrusted to our care? There's a guy named Jimmy Carter, president, former president, who's in hospice care, and he's been very open. And politics aside, if anybody's sort of exemplified um, humble, gracious, generous life, um, it's him. And there's that quote that's in the bulletin. I'd like to share it with you. It says, I have one life and one chance to make it count for something. My faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have, to try to make a difference. You know, anybody could say those words, but as far as I can tell, at the life and witness of Jimmy Carter, there's real authenticity to those words, that he's lived those words out um, in all sorts of wonderful and gracious ways. He's an inspiring example for, for all of us. Actually, as he's nearing death, he's in hospice care at home. I heard a report on the radio this week about him talking about how he was um, cutting edge in terms of environmental issues and had solar panels installed on the roof of the White House back in the 1970s. And people thought, some people thought he was crazy. And then he did that press conference where he had the, the big sweater on and he talked about turning the thermostats down in winter to save energy. And here we are all these decades later, I'm thinking, you know, if we had listened to Jimmy Carter... Maybe we wouldn't have had to have a creation care sermon series and be worrying about all the issues with the planet, right? So smart guy, wonderful guy, lived a life of faith, lived a life of intention and purpose, um, teaching Sunday school on a regular basis, um, wonderful human being. I want to share one other example of, um, or thinking about the idea of legacy. When I think about legacy, I think of the story of Alfred Nobel. I've shared about Alfred Nobel before, but I think it's worth hearing maybe again, if you've already heard this, Alfred Nobel perhaps is known to you as the inventor of dynamite. And in the year 1888, um, his brother died, 
but because of what was called sloppy reporting, some newspapers reported that Alfred Nobel had died, and there was one newspaper that put the headline that said, the merchant of death is dead. Now, Alfred Nobel wasn't dead, and he saw this, and he thought, that's how they're going to remember me? They're going to remember me as the merchant of death. He made millions of dollars from dynamite, which is used for construction and warfare and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So he made millions of, of dollars in his day. But he apparently thought about that and did something about it. Several years later, when he actually did die, he had willed the vast majority of his money to what we now know as the Nobel Prizes. Ironically, the best known of those prizes is what? The Nobel Peace Prize. So the merchant of death now is remembered as the guy who supports peace and literature and science and things like that with these wonderful, wonderful gifts. He got a second chance. He got a wake-up call to redirect his life, rewrite his own obituary in a sense. What a wonderful gift. So how about you? What's going to be in your obituary? How do you want to be remembered? I want to close today by talking a little bit about my father, who died suddenly at the age of 72 back in 1995. He and my mom were on a trip to Europe with a group of people from Connecticut, and they were visiting opera houses and music halls and had a wonderful trip together. And then he died suddenly, unexpectedly, in his sleep on the last night of that trip. My poor mother had to deal with the reality of sudden death and customs and all of that. And she's a trooper. She was a trooper. May she rest in peace as well. Um, and then it got time to plan the memorial service for my dad. I was a young pastor at the time, and our home church pastor asked if I wanted to be involved in the service, and I just declined and just wanted to, to, to be, be in the pews, so to speak. And so the senior pastor of the church took care of it. And one of the scripture readings he chose for that service was Psalm 90. Now, I'd been to seminary and all, and I probably had read Psalm 90 a couple times, but it never really sank in with me. But it did at my father's memorial service. Um, there's four things I want to point out about this psalm. It begins with a sense of timelessness, of, of, of awe. You know, God, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The sense of God is all time, all, all space, everywhere. And then it focuses in on people. You turn us back to dust. We are not from everlasting to everlasting. We are not the mountains, you know, that sort of thing. The days of our life are 70 years, perhaps 80, if we're strong. And then this wonderful phrase in verse 12, it says, so because of that, because of the recognition that our days are limited, that we're not going to live forever, so teach us to count our days that we might gain a wise heart. I really grabbed onto that phrase, and what it was for me was this sense of like a wake-up call. That, okay, we've got a limited number of days that we can count. So I think I need to wake up, gain a wise heart, and live with a sense of purpose. And that's how the psalm closes with this invitation to live as a sense of purpose. It reminds us of God's steadfast love that's with us forever, and then has this repeating refrain at the end, prosper the work of our hands. Prosper the work of our hands. You know, you could paraphrase that, like, make me useful. Make me useful for something. So I went away from my father's memorial service, very sad, because he was a great man, and, you know, you lose your parent, you lose a loved one, that's hard. 
But I went away with a new conviction of a sense of gratitude for the gift of every day. And those of you who've been around here for the 10 years I've been here, you've probably heard the vast majority of my prayers. I begin with the sense of thank you, God, for the gift of today. The sense that every day is a gift. And I, did, I, did, I need to remind myself of that. Otherwise, I just go autopilot through life sometimes. To remember today, right now, this is a gift. Thank you, God. And then, in some way, shape, or form, I'll pray, prosper the work of my hands. Help me to be useful. Help me to make a difference. Help me to share your love with someone or do something halfway decent today. And in order to do that, to not forget those things, I've built into my daily routine um, some things just to help me remember on a daily basis as I think about loved ones who have died, as I think about the gift of every day. So when I get up in the morning, if I'm not too tired, when my feet hit the floor, I'll say, thank you, God, for the gift of today. Now, if I had a bad night and I stubbed my toe or something, that might not be the first words out of my mouth, but, you know, um, I try. I try to start the day with that, that affirmation. And then as I get ready for the day, there's various things. I put on my watch, and I'll pray, dear God, help me to make good use of the time today. I put on my wedding ring. Dear God, help me to be a good husband. Help me to be a good father. I'll put on my clothes in the spirit of Colossians chapter 3. I'll pray, clothe me with compassion, humility, kindness, and love. And I put on this cross that I wear around my neck underneath my shirt every day. I've had it for 25 years or so. And I'll pray, dear God, help me to be a faithful Christian. Help me to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Friends, life is good. Life is really good, but it's short. So we need to take advantage of the gift of every single day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And with an honest awareness and a healthy amount of discussion about death and the bad news of death, we can live as people of Good news, people of resurrection, people of faith, hope, and love. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, we do thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for the gift of being alive right here, right now. Help us to not take today for granted. We thank you for loved ones who have gone before us. We remember them. We thank you for them. We treasure their memories. We pray for those of us who might be grieving right now or facing health issues right now. Help us all to comfort and support one another as we treasure the gift of life together. And thank you for the promise of the future. Thank you that the worst thing is never the last thing. Thank you for your resurrection love, which we treasure in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.